Hi, everybody. This is Jose Palomino with another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. And today's guest is Tom Mays. And Tom's based in Vancouver, British Columbia. And he is an expert at helping startups get funded and get going. He's done it himself successfully. He's going to talk to us about what investors are looking for. And I want you, especially if you're not in the startup phase, you're in an established business, listen closely because I think we're going to cover some principles that apply to you as you look to make investments at expansion, at a new product that you might want to offer. Because the criteria that an investor would use candidly might be the, the criteria you would use as the investor in your own ideas to grow your business. And as you know, we really believe in business growth on purpose. And to that end, let's welcome Tom to our show right now. Welcome, Tom, to Business Growth on Purpose. Awesome. Thanks for having me here. Appreciate it. Yeah. So, Tom, for our audience, uh, just tell us a little bit about uh, what do you do and who do you do it for? Yeah, I'm uh, I ba- I'm based in Vancouver, Canada. First off, uh, born and raised here. And the two main businesses, main focuses at the moment are uh, I co-founded a commodity and currency trading fund about three and a half, four years ago in the process of building that. Uh, networked with a lot of high net worth entities and individuals. Um, They would invest with us, but then they'd say, hey, do you have any other opportunities in real estate or technology or alternative medicines? I'd say no, but at the same time of having the hedge fund projects would be coming to me to see if we would invest with them. I'd say no, but let me introduce you to a family office that's looking for what you have. And um, with that, I had another business partner that I was working on some introductions with and we realized we had another business that we could start there. So that's what created Alteza Capital. It's a consulting firm where we do a lot of uh, capital raising, consulting work, uh, sales consulting, uh, patent applications, uh, technology. One of my partners has two PhDs in artificial intelligence. So we work in uh, the tech space a lot. I'm more on the finance side and, um, you know, help a lot of companies raise money or, you know, get venture debt just help uh, scale whether they're expanding internationally to another country and they need some assistance with that um, or if they're just growing within the country that they are so that's what i'm focused on at the moment well that's great tom and that's uh, really interesting you know how your journey took you through some very maybe some more non-traditional things into you know the classic i'm a business uh i'm a founder an entrepreneur i have an idea and i need some fuel to get it off the ground right so so in the pre-conversation, we talked a little bit about how uh, just having good ideas is not enough, right? As you said, just putting a pitch deck together and say, here's our wonderful idea, how we're going to change the world of X is yeah. not enough. So as you, as you talk to investors and you're bringing some of the ideas that are being brought to you to, to get help for, uh, what do you find that investors are primarily interested in? And I think this is especially relevant to anyone listening who's a uh, an established business owner with, a, let's say, you know, $10 million of revenue and has an idea you might want to even self-fund, the criteria for what makes a good idea a good idea should be the same either way, whether it's your own money or someone else's money. So what do you, what do you find the smart money is looking for when they evaluate whether to make an investment or not? Yeah. Um, the, the fastest acting investors that I've seen are investing in spaces that they're already aware of, right? If they've had a successful business in SaaS or technology or alternative medicines, 
then, you know, they can identify, okay, this is the idea. They already know what the team needs to do. They know the infrastructure that needs to be there. They know that, okay, you know, for this business to be successful, it can't be, you know, at this stage, this early of a startup, it actually needs to prove the product first or prove the market fit. And then they can invest. Those are the fastest acting investors I've seen when they get that project, but they get that project or opportunity, they can pull the trigger. In general, I would say the market um, is very interested in at least the space that I'm in is, is technology, right? There needs to be some kind of aspect of uh, advancement and innovation in the, in the space. Um, and then real estate is still hot for, you know, a lot of the real estate investments in the family offices that are interested in that space. For me, when I'm, you know, looking at bringing on a company or working with a company, um, I find it the easiest to pitch uh, a growth company. So they've already established their market. You know, they're doing 600,000 a year in revenue or more. They don't need to be profitable, but they need to be, you know, spinning their wheels and actually producing something. Um, and maybe they've raised, you know, 2 million or 3 million already. So when we do go to the family offices, the venture capital firms, the private equity, the angels, we can leverage that credibility. Um, if you're doing a, you know, fresh, fresh, fresh startup, you haven't raised any capital, you haven't done any market, you know, um, validation, you haven't sold anything, you're not revenue generating. That's, that's the real, uh, you know, that's the real grind where you've really got to leverage, you know, your credibility in past projects, you've got to leverage relationships. That's why so many people start with family and friends, because, you know, you can go to those contacts that have known you for five or 10 or 15 years, and they're pretty much just investing in you. They don't, you know, the, the idea is one thing, but they're investing in you. So um, I would say uh, keeping in mind those three uh, considerations, there's many different stages to investing into a startup right there's really 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 early pre-revenue you know revenue series a etc cetera, etc cetera. but i would i would keep those in mind so so let, just because i've been you know been doing this for a long time doing you know strategy consulting for all kinds of businesses mostly in b2b but i i've i have had projects that have come my way where somebody says hey i have this incredible idea and i look at it and i said well that's an interesting business plan but where's your team you know, what's the team that's actually behind it? How uh, have you even tried it? Have you, what's your MVP, right? Have you even proven any part of this? And they go, no, the idea is so strong that once investors see it, they're going to want to be in on it. It'd be like being in on the early days of like Amazon or something like that. Right. Yes. And that's always just rub. I'm saying like, yeah, but I don't know. I think, you know, you're asking somebody to stroke a million dollar check uh, which is still money. It's still real money. I realize we talk about, you know, tens of millions on some of these things, but you know, a million dollars is a million dollars. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you, you said something else, the personal credibility of the, of the creator of the person behind it. That doesn't just mean that they have had a decent career in something before the idea, but it also means if you don't have anything to show for it, you should have some experience in the space you're asking the investor to, to invest in. Is that yeah. a fair a fair summary of what the issues are? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, definitely fair for sure. And I would expand on that that one part where you're talking about like the, the, the mindset of like this is the best idea. An investor would be like so lucky to have this opportunity <laughs> to invest with us, right? And I was just talking with someone uh, two two days ago. Uh, I, I work with the BDO, and uh, and the BDO we were chatting about this. One of the consultants with the with their 
with that firm. And that's the really, really hard mindset to work with, with those entrepreneurs that are kind of in this, like, I like to call it like a honeymoon phase, you know, they've got their idea and they're putting it together and they think I should be able to, you know, sell 5% of my business for $20 million or $5 million. (laughs) Right. And it's like, okay, like I love the confidence and the enthusiasm, but the reality of that is just like, so next level, like you have nothing, you have absolutely nothing. Like, um, you just have the idea. So I was talking with, with, with Alex from the BDO and, and with that, um, that's where I kind of put in the parameters of what I look for is a company that's revenue generating 600,000 or more per year. And they've generally raised two to three million already because that filters out a lot of companies for me to work with because it removes people from that honeymoon phase. If you've already raised two or three million, you've been hit by two by four for like right. you know a long time to realize that, hey, you know, I need more than just an idea. If you're actually revenue generating, you've gone through a lot of pain as well to go through and validate that the you know customers will actually buy it. But you know, we can you know, we, we could sit in a garage or we could go for dinner, we could have a lunch and we could come up with an idea and then think our idea is worth so much. And it's really hard to coach and consult and, and work with those individuals when they have, you know, their, you know, honeymoon phase where they just think it's, it's going to be. Well, I think it's also, it's interesting. You mentioned honeymoon, right? So I've, I've been married over 30 years. Right. So, uh, so thank God, uh, 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 a great woman who's tolerates a lot. Right. Uh, (laughs) But but what's what what's interesting about that is when you start off like as a, a young married, um, we have romantic ideals that movies tell us about and, and so on. So you think it's going to be that and it can be very good, but it's probably not the movie ideal that they live happily ever after, like with no effort, no work, no muss, no fuss. In the same way, in the entrepreneurial world, I find that that sometimes what does a big disservice is the exceptional cases like the, 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 the team that did have just two slides happened to have a conversation like Mark Andreessen meeting up with the guy who started Silicon Graphics at a conference and Netscape is born and it's a the multi-billion dollar thing. God bless him. But that's the exception. That's a, in fact, that's the 0.01 exception. It's not the way it typically works. So that two by four is when people say, what do you mean? I have to show you financials and I have to have already revenue, you know, like they're shocked. Because the literature really glorifies these exceptional cases because they're interesting. They're good to write about. Yeah. But it's not the way it really is in the real world. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think, um, you know, when we're talking about like comparison, like young entrepreneurs, too, they look at the the 18, the 19, the 20, the 22 year olds that are making, you know, a million, two millions a year. And it's like, well, yeah, they they we're really lucky they got into a position for that. I think the youngest billionaire was um, Snapchat, the creator of Snapchat, right? And then, of course, everyone wants to gravitate to those stories. I just need to make an app and then I'm going to be a billionaire, right? (laughs) You know, I just need to come up with a 12-page pitch deck and start pitching, uh, you know, Google venture capital firms in New York and (laughs) Francisco, and, uh, and then I'll just start pitching and someone will give me half a million or a million bucks, right? And it's, um, yeah, so... For yeah, you kind of really got to go through that phase and get reality checked, and then, and then it's much easier to consult and work with those people. I had a conversation with another company, and uh, they wanted twenty million for for twenty percent, and they really didn't have a huge amount. And I ran them through a scenario. I was like, okay, guys, like, what if you got, 
you know, this amount. And then in three years or four years, you sold for like seven or $800 million. And I was like, you know, thinking like, that would be amazing. Like that's best case right. scenario for an entrepreneur. And the CEO was like, we would never sell only for a $700 million. <laughs> and, I was, <laughs> and I was just like, okay. Uh, yeah. Now, that's, you, now you know you did. Well, you know, it reminds me, this is like 15 years old, but it happened. Uh, Jerry Yang, who at the time was the, the uh, co-founder of Yahoo. Mm. So he gets offered by Microsoft $35 billion, right, for right. Yahoo. And he turns it down. And 60 days later, the board let him go, right? Because you don't turn, basic rule of thumb in entrepreneurship, you don't turn down $35 billion. Forget, it, forget <laughs> it's just more, more than you can ever, ever, ever spend in a lifetime. I mean, it's, you, you won, like, you know, touchdown, right? right? And it turned out, obviously, Yahoo quickly depreciated in value and so on. So, you know, it became a shadow of its former self. He should have taken the money. $700 million, it's such an abstraction, right? But that's like, that's like, Real, I mean, yes, we all want to be unicorns. That'd be nice, you know. But the reality is that a lot of money, and yeah. uh, and it tells you. I'm sure it told you that they had no grip on on reality, right? So, yeah, yeah, it, it, it did show that, and I'm I'm fine with that too. Like if you say, like if the response was less extreme and it was like, well, you know, we would really obviously take it into consideration. We would have a board meeting, and you know, it would depend where we are at as a company and how much we've invested. And, you know, maybe if that happened over eight or nine years, maybe we would consider going longer or this, but it wasn't like that. It was just straight to the point. Like we right. would never, we would never. never. Yeah. And, and they, and, and they might, you know, who knows, they might be right. Right. You know, in, in yeah, retrospect, exactly. you know, there's somebody, one of them will be right. But yeah. Like if you sold, you know, Yahoo at 700 million, you know, that's right. a huge mistake. Right. So right. you need to take into consideration um, everything, but it just kind of showed me their, their mindset and like how it was kind of really like closed and it's hard to coach somebody and consult and work on a team with people that are, you know, that kind of like rigid in their thinking a little bit. Right. So that's really what I look for too with companies when I, you know, go to capital raise with them is, you know, how flexible are they? Because a lot of the time working with investors, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll ask for things that you don't necessarily want to give up, right? It's never just that straightforward of, hey, we want to give up this much of our company for this much money. A lot of the time is, okay, well, they want a board seat. Okay, they want, you know, this, this amount, they want to actually negotiate, and they want a better deal. And then they want warrants, or they want to have options and blah, 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 blah. Like, it's a lot of the times you've got to be able to be flexible and work with the investors because um, of what they want as well, right? So, yeah. Right. So, so as we look out, I mean, one thing is raising the money, right? So people need money, working capital to, uh, if it's technology, developing technology is very expensive. It requires really expensive talent. Yeah. Um, and you can't just offshore that or outsource it. And so you got to have some core that is the technical people, you know, so you're going to need some people, right? And people are expensive at that level. Um, so now you've raised a million, two million, and you okay, we got it going. So one of the first things you have to do now is validate what your idea is, take it out into the marketplace, and do it pretty quickly because somebody just stroked your check for two point five million dollars. They actually do expect to see something back from it at some point, whether that's growth, you know, some sort of ROI, whatever their criteria is. So what have you seen? in terms of taking a new idea, and this really has application, I think, for even long-term established businesses that want to come up with a new product, 
or new offering, how do you get it going as quickly as possible? What have you found to be some like success formulas for people with a good idea, they've gotten some funding and now they need to take it into the marketplace and get traction? Yeah. Um, that with, with the founding, I, I see there being two situations here. One is the founding team is experienced and they have like the infrastructure within the company to really like what I call poor fuel on the fire, right? They're ready for the money. So it's really going to help them grow and expand. And then more importantly, the team, the founding team, they have the experience to use that money really effectively and grow really quickly. Um, that's, that's, you know, the ideal situation. What I find is more common is, you know, a lot of these companies that, or, or teams, they haven't built and sold companies before, you know, this is their first one or second one until they've had like three or four or five exits, I'd say, you know, that's when you really have the experience to pour fuel in the fire. Um, like my business coach, he's sold eight international companies. If you give this guy $10 million, it's like, boom, game on. Like he knows exactly what to do with it. Right. Um, but if you're like, you know, raising your first startup or second, I would really, really look at venture capital firms or family offices that are willing to come in a much higher capacity and be smart money. You know, they, they bring the, the 500K or million, 2 million, 5 million, but then they also are on your board, advisory board, and maybe, you know, they've got a marketing company that they work with as well, or maybe it's even internal within their venture capital firm, and they're able to be like a force multiplier. So they're also giving you the money, but they're also helping you with growing into this other country because they have contacts there, or maybe they're helping you with their marketing and they're doing a check swap of another $500,000 and they're giving you a whole bunch of marketing uh, advice as well as, you know, workforce that you can use there. That'll really help you scale because there's a lot to manage, right? There's a lot to manage in a company. And if you can partner up with somebody that's going to be smart money, opposed to just giving you a million dollar check and saying, good luck, see you later. You know, my goal as a, as an entrepreneur, I would want whoever's writing me that check to be very, very involved and very, um, you know, with smart money as well. And then, you know, as you grow, then they see the progression of the company, they're more likely to invest again, you know, the 500k, another million one when you guys need it, right? So I would look for force multipliers, companies that you can partner up with, um, that will really help you scale outside of just the capital. So interesting. And I'm going to flip the focus back to the startup, right? The pure startup, just the person you're describing, not so much the uh, existing company, but in the startup context, one of the biggest challenges for especially early in their career entrepreneurs is the thought of control and the right. loss of control, right? So it, what you describe smart money could feel like, well, that's a lot of hands going into the pot with me and I kind of know what I need to do. So how do you talk somebody off the ledge to say, you know what, the, you, you may need the help and you don't have all the answers because sometimes the, the kind of confidence you need to have to venture off in the first place can sometimes create a false cockiness where people you know, think they know more than they actually do or are capable of more because they haven't been beat by the two by four yet. Um, yeah, you know, totally. <laughs> so, so that control question, how do you help entrepreneurs solve that to their satisfaction that, yeah, they're going to give up some control. They, get, they are going to have to give an account for what they're doing at some level. Yeah. Yeah. I find that a very, very interesting topic. And it's, 
it's very dependent on the situation too right like there's so many variables that come into that experience of the the entrepreneur that the team um you know how much control what the investor is like but again two two scenarios here is one is the experienced and they really you know don't need to give up control um or if it's you know your first startup or second startup um if you could look at them as you know a partner opposed to someone that's trying to come in and like take your company you know mm -hmm. like the you it's kind of like what we were talking about before where you hear about the best case scenarios a lot where you know they get that huge check really easily you also hear about like the worst case scenarios a lot in this space where it's like oh the vc came in and they'd like push me out of my own company and they they took control and they diluted my shares and this that you always hear about the horror stories right because and i've seen those up close i mean i've actually seen those exact scenarios right exactly and they happen right um and then you hear about those a lot and like negative news spreads really quickly and everyone wants to talk about that right so um i would you know my own strategy having a startup i'd raise the capital i would have a business coach that knows a lot more than i do so that they can have an outside perspective and look at strategic partnerships and how to uh, manipulate it and maybe this is a business that you know, you don't want to have control of, like, do you really want to have control of it? Do you want somebody that can come in and kind of steer the ship with you, depending on your experience level, so that maybe you can also have another business at the other, on the other side that, you know, you do have complete control of, or is this your baby and you need to have control of it? It really is based on, you know, your, your desires, your experience, where you're at, what's your goals for this company. I mean, there's entrepreneurs out there that'll just start a new company and it's their sixth company and um, they don't want to have control of it because it'll take too much time. Right. So there's that scenario as well. Um, but yeah, I would if you if you do want to have complete control the whole time and it's your baby and you want to grow it, then I'd recommend having a coach or a consultant that like yourself that can kind of oversee and see what the situation is mm -hmm. like, because as you know, it's a real chess game, <laughs> you know, like in business, it's okay, this person's putting this contract into place and there's this one clause and then, you know, these shares are getting transferred over here. It's like, well, that maybe it seems like what's happening on the surface, but maybe there's an alternative motive at the same time. So it's a real chess game. So, Wow, chess game, right? I mean, it's a chess game to get your company started, to get it funded, and then in the marketplace, right? There's, a, there's all these, because you have competitors, you know, whatever your great idea is, chances are somebody else has come up with something similar it's going after a similar market. There's very few completely net new, no one's ever seen anything like it kind of ideas, just because entrepreneurship has really exploded in the last like 40 years yeah. uh, all over the world. So a lot of smart people, there's a lot of smart people in the world coming up with smart ideas. Um, so, you know, you do have to move through that as quickly as possible. Well, Tom Mays, this has been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you, getting to know you a little bit in the work you do. If somebody listening to this said, gee, I need to talk to Tom, how would they find out more about you? Where should they go on the web to learn more? Yeah, the, the best place would be just tommaze.com. Uh, I keep that updated with, with podcasts I've been on if you want to learn more, or um, I've got my four companies listed on there as well. So you can go and read about those. Um, and my emails on my, my company website as well. So you can reach out and either myself or my assistant will respond and we can book a call. Just let me know what you want to, what you want to chat about. 
Uh, and that's my main website's linked to all my social medias as well with Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Making it easy for people to get a hold of you. That's fantastic. Tom yeah. Mays, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for stopping by Business Growth on Purpose. It's, it's, I love your podcast. Thanks so much for having me here. Greatly appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.